0: welcome to knock on podcast where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust knock on was created as a way to bring all archers together regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot knock on podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear proper shooting technique along with high level equipment setup and tuning welcome back to another knock on podcast Uh, it's Friday today, although you may be listening to this on any other day of the week, but it's Friday to me, so uh, definitely looking forward to it. Got some good weather coming, more outdoor shooting on the way, so definitely not much I could complain about. I guess first and foremost, I want to jump into uh, announcing some of the winners here. I posted a kind of a photo on the Facebook page, both Uh, my personal page and the knock on TV page. And uh, it was just a random photo that I really have no idea what I was doing, but kind of wanted to come up with the best caption. So there was a lot of good ones. And, you know, I guess we decided to pick five of the ones that we like the most. And uh, so I guess I'm not going to just send out one hat. I guess I'm going to bite the bullet and send out five. So, The guys that we pick the most, and I guess if you haven't seen the the photo, you're gonna have to go to either uh, the Knock On TV Facebook page or my Facebook page, and for that matter, anyone listening to the Knock On podcast, just so that you know, my personal page is maxed out right now. So I did create a John Dudley athlete page because then I don't have a limit. So you know, managing one Facebook page is Almost a pain in the butt as it is. But now I've got three. So uh, although the John Dudley athlete page isn't technically uh, all up to date right now, I will eventually get to that. So if you're not able to get on my personal page, then definitely just start following that and uh, you'll be all set. So the uh, photo contest winners... First one is going to be Josh James. Uh, your comment was bowing. Thank you. I'm here all week. I like that one. Um, then the next one I liked was Jake, and I'm going to totally mask your last name here. I think it's Isidoric. Jake Isidoric. I'm guessing. But you said, uh, I know it's a purple bow. Just pretend it's a manly color and do your job. So I like that one as well. And then definitely the number one, my favorite one of all, is uh, Zach Kemmer. You posted a picture of Ricky Bobby, and your quote was, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. I love that one. I'm always a sucker for anything Will Ferrell, so... Uh, easy winner there. Uh, the next one is, uh, Justin and Aaliyah Mick. You guys said, I always practice with no clothes on from here down. So keep all the photos above this line. So what's funny about that is when I read that, it actually reminded Sharon and I, cause Sharon was taking the photos, um, that we needed for a new magazine. Um, that is actually almost what I was saying. Obviously, I can't practice with my pants off anymore because I live closer to town now. So, um, but I was telling her, you know, just crop it about here. So that quote actually helped us r- remember why what the heck I was doing in that photo. And then, uh, last but not least is Marty, uh, Keiki. Um, Marty you said and I'm not sure if this is legit I should have checked up on it but I kind of liked it so I went for it but Marty said hey look it's Marty's birthday today good thing I wrote it for a reminder he's a big fan and deserves the hat so guess what buddy even if it isn't your birthday you're getting a hat so uh, happy birthday uh, we've got a pretty cool show coming up for you today um, I've actually got. A really cool guest coming up. Uh, We're going to get him on in a little bit. You know, a lot of, uh, obviously, I haven't been in the competitive realm for several years. I've got tons of other things going, but, you know, it seems like that stuff never changes. And, uh, you know, I really feel privileged to be part of 3D in the early years. Um, You know, I feel privileged to be part of Target when... You know, some of the best shooters in the world right now, we're all coming up through the ranks. Um, So I've just, you know, I've been able to experience several of those things. And uh, today I'm going to have a really cool guest for you. But uh, before I do that, I want to bang through a few of these questions that I still had from uh, part one, I guess, earlier this week or on podcast 12. Um, I was answering several of. Your guys' questions that you asked Um, So I'm going to still get through a few of those Uh, Nick Jane asked uh, What are your thoughts on the Carbon Spider Versus the Carbon Spider 34 Um, The Carbon Spider Turbo Versus the Carbon Spider 34 Um, And honestly I'm a longer draw So I prefer the 34 On any of these bows Anytime they have a longer um, Axle to axle available I always choose to go that route so um, I prefer the 34 now if your draw length is you know 29 or less then the turbo might be something that you would consider because obviously you're going to get a little bit more speed and you're not going to really have to worry about that string angle near as much so uh, you know I really don't like having the peep too far from my eye and I like a string angle that doesn't make me tip my head far forward to get to it so For me, at my draw length, which is about 31 and a quarter, I prefer the longer ones. The other thing, too, is I hunt a lot of places where it's extremely cold, and when I bundle up, I really prefer to have a brace height that's seven inches or better. I've just really found that to be kind of the key. So, you know, I always strive for that uh, whenever possible. So, you know, that's kind of my thoughts there. But, uh, Hopefully that helps you out. I know there's a lot of people that love the Spider Turbo. Um, you know Hoyt's been making several turbo models, and uh, because the you know they're not going too low on that brace height number, um, so I think the guys with the shorter draw lengths can still find some benefit from that. Um, the next question here is from Adam Kilgore. Um, Adam's actually a good buddy um, from right here in the Des Moines, Iowa area. Um, So you asked, uh, kind of about spring turkey, uh, tactics, bear tactics. Um, you've got tons of questions here, Well, I'll start with that. You know, I've actually, um, when it comes to spring turkey hunting, I just did a couple small little clips for Easton bow hunting on several things that can help improve your success, when it comes to turkey hunting, and I know in podcast 12, I talked a little bit about that as well, but um, I know here in the next few days, uh, Easton bow hunting, and I'm sure I'll share, share them as well on our Facebook pages, but uh, I've got a couple quick little tips there that are going to help you with your turkey hunts for sure. Um, and then also, you kind of asked a little bit about... Um, manufacturers charts when it comes to arrows, their spine charts, and what I normally uh, refer to when I'm picking my arrows. Um, And honestly, the program that I've used the longest is Archer's Advantage. Um, I know there's other programs out there that do a really good job for people. Um, I think the arrow charts that the manufacturers are making right now, they're a good starting point um, and they're probably just fine for most of the bow hunters, but they've really simplified them over the years. They're not near as, um, detailed as they used to be, you used to be able to pick what kind of, what grain point you had in your arrow, you know, you could really pick, you know, a little bit more precise, the length and stuff, um, different cam options. But, you know, now they've kind of simplified that quite a bit, um, And what I like about the programs is it allows you to really add in there if you've got arrow wraps, the size of your vein, um, the weight of your veins, you know, all that stuff is factored in. If you do decide to shoot a heavier insert, you can actually manually type in the fact that you're shooting a 50 grain insert versus a standard insert and then a 100 grain head. it really lets you put the exact poundage of your bow. I mean, it, it's much more precise. And, you know, there, it's all, in archery, everything's ultimately how big is your magnifying glass. You know, if you're just, if you're happy shooting pie plates, you could probably just take a guess at what arrows to shoot, to shoot off the shelf at a store, and you're probably going to be able to do that. You know, if you're starting to want to shoot apples, you're going to have to probably use the manufacturer's charts. And then if you're going to want to start shooting thumbnails, then you definitely start needing to find programs that are going to allow you to add in all those small little variables um, that truly help determine specifically um, the exact spine that you need. And uh, unfortunately, for simplifying things, a lot of the charts from the manufacturers have just become really, really basic. Um, you know, for the longest time, you know, I felt like like I really liked the Easton line because of the fact there were so many spine selections. It really, it didn't allow me just to pick an arrow that was okay. It, it let me pick an arrow that was perfect for the setup that I was shooting. Um, now it seems like kind of all the manufacturers, and this is just, this is as an industry, you know, ultimately the retailers and the shops they want to have less, less uh, skew numbers on the shelves, so you know they start to make less spines. They make them you know they start to make a spine broader in um, the range you can shoot it for poundage and arrow length and all that stuff. So you know it's uh, it hasn't been as precise as what it was in the past because obviously they're trying to just limit shelf space. Um, But if you really want to get serious about it, invest in a good archery program, and I think you're going to be really happy with the results. So um, that kind of wraps up the questions that I had picked to answer um, from all you guys. Uh, Now I'm going to go ahead and put in a call to my good buddy, Dave Stepp. How you doing, buddy?
1: Doing good, John. Good to see you. Good to hear from you.
0: I know. It's been... uh, It's been too long. It sucks that we're so far apart because uh, what many of the listeners probably won't know is, you know, you and I were roommates for a long time during the 3D circuit. And uh, I swear, well, actually, you just had hernia surgery, right? Yeah, that's right. There's a very good chance you you could have created that problem from when we roomed together from how hard we laugh sometimes.
1: Yeah, I'm certain that that probably has something to do with it.
0: <laughs> I mean, there were times where I literally thought that I was going to need some type of a a uh, electronic breathing apparatus to keep my lungs going because I figured I'd totally collapsed them. We, yeah. had, we had some awesome times. But, you know, you're still still to this day, you know, it's – it's kind of a bummer that uh, you know we've been out of it quite a while, and you know we're almost like old timers now. Me and you and and Ulmer. Jeff's still doing it, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. you know, you were you were, I believe, the first guy to ever make a hundred grand in a year shooting yeah. shooting 3D. That was and Shoot,
1: you, <laughs> shooting a bow and arrow. Would you ever believe that?
0: N- yeah, in the 90s. I mean, and. Yeah not to mention at the time it was a single cam high country <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you know john i still have that same bow <laughs> i uh, pulled it back oh I, i'll bet oh probably 3 months ago my son was going through the attic and he asked me what this was and he pulled it down and yeah and, what uh,
0: is this <laughs> exactly he looked exactly. at it like what what is that
1: yeah, and I you know I took that bow and I I drew it back carefully. Yep. And uh I don't know how I shot that thing. It feels <laughs> it feels really bad.
0: <laughs> I've got um and what's I guess I can't spoil it, but when it comes to old bows, I've actually got a really funny story about about Jeff's old bow, but um, I'm actually going to be doing a podcast with Jeff here pretty quick, so I don't want to like I want to tell that story with him because I don't even know if he really knows the truth behind that. But you know that bow at the time that was something that you had kind of cobbled together. That was like one of the very first single cam. I mean it yeah. it was a single yeah. cam bow. I mean it, it had to have been. Well, it's a, it's technically the first single cam to ever win to ever win six figures during, a during, a, a archery season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, if you knew the work that went into that bow to make it shoot, it was just, it was ridiculous what I had to do to it. But I'll tell you what, it was a shooting machine afterwards that that bow, you know, I think back in my, uh, file cabinet of memories here about different bows that I shot and, uh, it was, it was almost comical to show up shooting that bow and then to shoot it so well. But I had so much confidence in it. It just goes to show you that if you shoot some, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, if, if you have put the time and effort into it and you have confidence in it, you can do anything with it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and that, that brings up a pretty valid point because there's – there's several archers out there that are great archers that do have an extensive amount of, knowledge, you know, mechanical and technical knowledge. I mean, you and I, you and I have always, I guess, excelled at that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to like boast, but you and I both understand functionality. We were always, I mean, you always had your arrows always flew like darts, you know? And if yeah. we showed up somewhere, we knew our, We never went somewhere and could blame our equipment. No, no. Uh-uh. But then there's other shooters, you know, like, uh, you know, and I feel like at the time, like when, I'm going to just say Ken Likens, because you and I both, I mean, I think we've roomed with Ken. We definitely had the most intense ping pong match ever, <laughs> ever <laughs> in 3D history. Remember, who's yeah. his partner?
1: I can tell you right now if uh if that had been on video it would be on ridiculousness
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was yeah. an amazing amazing night of ping pong you and i dominated i mean th- we would have we would have went in the in the record books for that but like ken was an amazing archer but as soon as he started playing with his equipment it was almost like and he's not the only one there's tons of shooters like that now they They just get so infatuated with it that it's always they're always trying to like file a cam or like make some kind of new trick like trigger adapter or you know try a different size spec or put a screw in a cam or shim a pocket and it just gets to the point where if you're always having to worry about that stuff, I think mentally it takes away from from what you're there to do. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Uh you know, you get too wrapped up in the mechanics of things and uh don't focus enough on on yourself or the the uh time that it takes to put in, you know, to doing something like that to compete on a level like like those guys are doing now on at the ASA and the IBO.
0: Yeah, well like well like Ulmer, he would show up with stuff that according to all mathematics and every engineering piece of knowledge that we had technically should not shoot that good. Right. But, but he would just, he would shoot at the time. I think he shot in the most unforgetting setup maybe possible, like with that old Browning and like double overdraws. And, but you know, he had crazy lightweight points you know everyone was trying to get big shafts to fly well and everyone was right. trying to max out for speed but because everyone they had their bow and they spent so much time behind it you just you literally build your body to be a shooting machine based that's off right. based off what you're shooting and and I think that's an important thing that people can should be able to come away with this podcast knowing is you know don't get wrapped up in trying to always mess with stuff, you know, spend time prior to season or during your off season, working out all the monkeys and trying the new stuff and experimenting. But once it's like go time, you got to commit, you got to commit to competing, don't you?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, you know, you, you brought up a good point, especially like, uh, When we were shooting and and Randy would show up with just some of the most unorthodox things that that people had ever seen, um, that that alone uh, goes to prove that if you do something and you do it the same every time, whether it's a good setup, a bad setup, it will perform. But what the goal is, what my goal was when I was shooting was to get my body in tune to where I could do it the same every time, but also have my equipment as forgiving as I could make it so that if I did make a little bit of a mistake, it wouldn't be as magnified as, you know, say a bow that wasn't shooting as well as as one that I was shooting. So, um, you know, I've seen some crazy forms that people have that you just look and you see how they shoot and you go, man, there's no way that guy could ever uh, put together a win at an archery tournament. the thing is he does it the same every time and he wins and he wins with it
0: yep yeah and you and i you and i both have probably two handfuls of people that we can that we can think about in our career that every single time we faced them we're like or if we got beat by them you're like thinking how how did i freaking get beat by something like that yeah but, but there's like there's probably like two handfuls of people in the world to where they can do that all the time i mean yeah and it's because of exactly what you just talked about but for the average guy you know those are the people where it's it's almost impossible when people try to duplicate that and i think a lot of average archers you know and you see now you have an archery shop so every day you're dealing with people coming in telling you about something they saw probably now, now it's got to be out of control. It's something that they saw on, on, you know, on the internet about yeah. so-and-so shooting this. And, and I know right away you got to be thinking, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> because yeah, the it, average it, guy, the average guy can't shoot as much weight as Rio has in the front of his stabilizer. I mean, no, Even the unaverage guy can't.
1: Yeah, uh, let me just tell you something. I it just here's another funny thing. I know what works for me, but I would be lying to you if I told you that I didn't go out and try what he had. Yep, I did. I went and tried it, and you know what? After I tried it, it was even more ridiculous than when I saw it the first time. (laughs) It didn't work for me.
0: Yep. Yep, I agree. Well, what? Um, let me. I know. I want. I want to get into a couple subjects with you because I mean, there's, there's people that I have to give respect to in in the industry because they're great shooters, but there's also people that I would literally fight for because of the amount of respect that I have for them, and and you're a hundred percent one of those because you are an unbelievable archer, and and. You were you. You know what was unorthodox about you? What's that? The fact that you would never practice. <laughs> oh come on now, <laughs> dude! You would you would show up to a tournament, haven't judged a target in like since the last tournament, right? And then you would go out and sh- and you would win it. And well, then, it
1: was, there was there was a method to my madness. There.
0: Okay, well let's get into it. I want to hear it. And I'm sure you know I'm sure we've we've had nights where we were you know where we were laying there laughing our guts out in the dark you know about something ridiculous, but i want I don't remember it so i want I want to hear it because there's probably archers out there that don't have time to practice all the time, so if you've got some kind of a method, let me hear it
1: well you're you're absolutely right about the yardage judging portion of things. I a funny thing is, is uh, before I started shooting tournament archery, I actually, I was a logger. I cut timber here in Arizona. And, uh, you know, that might sound weird to people, but yeah, we have mountains, and yes, we have real tall, big pine trees. In fact, we'd go out there and, and cut trees, and you'd have to cut them off every 30 foot. Well, you and I both know that 30 foot is 10 yards. Yep. So i spent years and years and years
0: dropping a 30 foot tree,
1: and then cutting it at 30 foot and then seeing it it hit the ground
0: you see it on the ground exactly so you you fall a tree
1: uh you know hook in tape wise to the the trunk of the tree the base run it up 30 foot cut the tree off and you know you do that day in day out i get you get to where you don't really look at your tape measure much you start your cut and you double check it it's like oh yeah i'm good well so years of that happen. so when I got, it, it just naturally transitioned me into 3D archery. Now, I'm not saying you need to be a logger. What <laughs> I would do, and this worked for me, I'm kind of getting off the subject a little bit here because this kind of popped into my head, but if you took, a, let's say, a 90-foot piece of rope and you tied a knot or tied a ribbon every 30 foot or every 10 yards and you took that and laid it out and, you know, if you're up in the hills here, you lay it out and get a get an aspect of what 10 and 20 and 30 looks like in your head, and you do it at all the different terrains that you go to, you know, you you, you kind of get a uh, an idea of what yardage looks like in certain terrains. Now, to address what you're saying about me not practicing, if I... I did practice. I would practice shooting my bow a lot.
0: Right, yeah, yeah.
1: But judging yardage, you're absolutely right, because what I found was when I went to my local shoots in the desert down low here in Arizona and judged yardage and then went back east into an overgrown forest that had a tunnel cut down with a target in it, it screwed my yardage up. So I didn't have anywhere to practice the yardage like to have back east. So I didn't because it would screw me up out here going back there. It would take me, oh, I don't know, five or ten targets to acclimate myself once I got back east shooting in the green. So my thing was if I went to a tournament, did really well judging yardage there, I'd go home, work my equipment, make sure I'm good with my form and stuff, and then show up to the next tournament not having judged a target yeah, well I remember that. It, it worked for me. It, yeah. It, I was, you know, I was good at judging yardage. I was 100% confident when I got up there and I set my sight and locked it in. That's the judging yardage part was over. And that's one of the reasons why I did so well is I had 100% confidence once I drew that bow back that that sight was set at the right setting. And when I would shoot at a 12, I expected to get a 12. And this is back when, when I first started going. I, I started the ASA the first year it was in existence. I went to two tournaments. And what I found was the mentality of the guys that were winning. Uh, Randy Chapel, Burley Hall, Randy Ulmer, they were all there, and those guys had won. And I just decided, you know, I want to go and see how I stack up against these guys. Well, what I learned was their mentality was, if you can just shoot 10s and you can have a 400, you'll win. So I knew when I went home to ne- and practiced for the following year, if my mentality was to shoot 12s, I could beat these guys. Yep. And I came back and I did that. And to have the confidence... To shoot a twelve and hold the twelve, especially on a target that's forty-five or fifty yards, you better be pretty confident in your yardage.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have to have total confidence, especially at this. You know what we were shooting back then too. It's so it's so funny that you say that because, um, and you know, as you probably know this or remember this, but you know, when I when I was still a semi-pro, or no, I wasn't even a semi-pro yet. I was an open shooter. I met Randy Chappell out in Arizona in two, at the Tucson shoot. Remember when the IBO, they had an IBO out in Tucson?
1: I do remember that because I got to lay the whoop to everybody at that shoot. <laughs> yeah, thanks. But, it was in my backyard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I was there, and I, I met Randy Chappell, and— then Randy and I became good friends. So I started, I actually, you know, this has been, this is what I credit a big portion of my career on, is I've always, as a shooter, made a commitment to when when I made a friend with someone that ha- had the same drive as I did, literally in anything, not just archery, anything that I do, if I meet someone that has the same motivation that I do and they're better than me, I literally do whatever it takes to start to learn to train with those people and because it forces you to get better. I mean if you're a competitor, you're only gonna stand there and look like an idiot in someone's backyard so long before you start saying, Well, I need to start standing here and making some good shots. Yeah. But you know, in, in nineteen ninety six I went out and I stayed with, with Randy and Sonny and they right. and they taught me They, you know, they literally took me under their wing and I had Randy Ulmer's Revenger that he gave me. And he told me, you have to learn how to shoot a surprise shot. And I went out there and I worked with those guys. And once I did that, I remember specifically those guys would say, 10 to win. Yep. They always said that. They They all did. They always said, all right, 10 to win. Ten to win, yep. they aim safe, they always said aim safe, eleven o'clock, ten to win, so it's funny that you came back knowing, okay, well, if you're four up, you beat those three, yeah, I mean yeah that was that's a good that was a good way to look at it,
1: yeah, you know, and it's 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 funny, I thought back on it quite a bit, and I've had people actually come up to me and tell me. You know, when you started shooting these 3D tournaments, especially when there were tournaments that had a 12 ring, you changed the way people shot those shoots. And I said, well, you know, what do you mean by that? He said, nobody was gunning for 12s. They would play it safe and shoot middle 10s. And when they got a 12, it was an accident. It was a misjudged yardage that caused them to shoot
0: low yep, they or into high it. or high. Hel- or they bobbled or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I so, I, so I remember what? having that same mentality. Honestly, I remember shooting that way, on well, some see, of, on some of the longer courses. I played conservative. I, I mean, oh, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, and
1: you know, not I'm not saying that I've walked up to every single target and shot you know dead center twelve, but I can tell you that probably ninety eight or ninety nine percent of them, if it had a twelve, I was aiming at it. Now, there are times when I'd walk up to a target and be struggling, going, okay. This is a longer shot. Um, it's a difficult shot. And I think it's 45, but it could be 47. Now I'm like, okay, and it's a lower 12. If I gun at it at 45 and I'm off two yards at this it's distance, five. I'm getting a five. Yep. So those are the shots where I would be like, okay, I better aim center 10 or high of the 12. So, I mean, you got to be smart, but you have to be aggressive. And yep. especially with the, the scores that are being shot today. A guy can't go out there and play smart and win. You have to be aggressive. You're either going to gonna shine and be a winner, or you're going to crash and burn and, and, you know, you're not going to be in the shoot-off. Yep. But, you know, my thing was I would go to shoots and I didn't want to take second. I didn't want to take third. I wanted to win. Yeah, yeah if crashing and burning is what happened because I tried to win, eh, you know, it happened. But a lot of times I would go and the plan would work out and I would win. And it wasn't by a little bit. I would go and win by a lot. Mm -hmm. And those guys that came and and told me that I changed the way things were shot there, it changed because you take top five to a shoot down and I'm sitting there with a, say, a 420 or a 422, and the next highest score is a 402, I'm pretty confident that I'm winning this shoot. okay? (laughs) Wake me up for my last shot. Yeah, you know, I I hit foam on two or three of these. I can go pack my gear into the car, and they can send me a check. So, uh, you know, the mentality changed, and it took two or three tournaments, and then you saw that gap start closing, and the gap closed, and uh, you know, it just made scores a lot tighter, and guys realized, hey, we can shoot 12s and we can get 12s. So, you know, it, it's interesting how things
0: have changed. Well, it's funny. Once you did that too, it. I remember specifically. I I think it was somewhere around like, somewhere around like, you know when it was. It's when they switched to Reinhardt's. Uh, the ranges yeah. just. Remember the distances that we used to shoot? We used to shoot ranges. I remember coming off ranges that averaged 43, 44. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally averaged 44 yards, 43 yards. I mean, if you literally did not need anything less than 35 yard pin, there's no exactly. way. Exactly. And so, you know, once they, one, I remember a couple of shoots where we brought them in and it's like, You know, there's, like, no way possible. I'm the last guy shooting in my group. There's no physical possible way to put an arrow in that 12. Like, I don't even have a chance to shoot the same score as the rest of my teammates. Well, because they had it full already. Yeah, because it's already full. So, I mean, that kind of, you know, that kind of change things you know a bit too and and, you know obviously I haven't been out there to I kind of want to go out and do it for fun you know I know that I'm not going to go out there and shoot 40 up or whatever they have to shoot now but you know it's slightly different but you know you're right you had to you had to go there mentally you can you can never second guess. it doesn't even matter if it's 3d any listener out there Coming from two guys that you know, one have learned to win, but you know, and mainly from getting sick and not winning. um, Right. If you if you're not going in there knowing a hundred percent that you're going to do exactly what you're there for, then you're kind of spinning your wheels. I remember, well, (laughs) you. You kind of gave me a flashback when you said, "Pack your bowcase and go." Because, yeah, <laughs> I want you to tell the Redding story about you literally packing your bowcase and going. We'll get into that in a minute. But I remember when you and I shot Redding together. I mean, there's there was tough targets where we were standing there and we were shooting with darn good people. I mean, we shot with with Danny and Chance, and you know, we've shot with great archers, but. Right. There was targets where we we weren't going up there saying, "Okay, one of us is going to twenty-two this, and we're going to move on." We were like, "I remember we're like, we're going to put four arrows touching on this thing." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And and yep. we would have that. We would have that mentality on like, you know, seventy-seven yarders. Oh yeah. But you know you can't. But then you can see. You can see the guy next to you that he's an up-and-coming archer. He really has all the components it takes to be a great archer, but you can see him, just, they step up, and it's like they're beat before they've ever pulled their bow back.
1: Well, hey, that's, what you said is so true, okay? Because no matter what, tournament that you're going to shoot. And I, I'm a kind of guy that I thrive when somebody you know, mean mugs you or uh, tells you something's wrong with your gear or somebody's just intentionally trying to get into your head. Yep. That pushes my buttons and causes me to focus more and do everything I can to beat that guy and show him that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, yep. I'm I'm probably in the minority as far as people that can do that. And what I mean by that is I've gone and practiced with guys, John, and watched them shoot and go, holy cow, this guy never misses. The guy's a better shot than I am.
0: Yep, yep.
1: But we go and show up to a tournament. Well, For instance, I'm going to throw a name out here, pro- You guys have probably never heard of this guy, but when I was young, I was working part-time in an archery shop, and we had this guy that would come in, and he was a sponsored pro, and his name was Bob Anderson. The guy was in phenomenal shape. The guy could stand there and shoot arrow after arrow after arrow after arrow in the same hole, and he was a paper puncher. He would shoot vegas. Well, as soon as we would go out and shoot our leagues, if there was a belt buckle on the line or $100 on the line, he would miss. Yep. yep. And if we would go to Vegas, and this guy would never place in the top, I don't know, you know I'm just going to throw a number out there, but he would never be in the top 20. But I could guarantee you, if, if he didn't know you were keeping score for him, you'd never beat the guy. But yep. as soon as the pressure came on, he just couldn't shoot. One of the best archers I've ever seen in my life as far as form and being able to repeat something over and over again. So exactly what you said. It, it there. It's just as much mental. You could be the best shooter in the world. If you don't have it together mentally, you're probably not going to win.
0: Yeah, you have to. and And actually this... This is a good segue for what I was just talking about because when you and I were the when we shot Redding the last time together, it came down to the team event, and right. and we we were in the shoot off, and I said, oh, we're in the shoot off, and I and I knew that we had to shoot against we had to shoot against a ton of people to break that tie. I know it, <laughs> and and I and we and we went up and we said, well, what's the deal with the tiebreaker? And they said, well, both both teammates shoot, and wh- whatever team has one of their arrows closest to center, that's going to be who is at the top of the pool. Right. You remember that that ju- oh, yeah, that totally. judge that judge told us that. Yep. And well, then,
1: you know they had changed the shoot off format because I'd been there once before. And it was a combined team score. Well, it had changed, and we had even double checked. Yep. You're telling me that the highest arrow wins, and they 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 affirmed that that was the way it was going to work this year.
0: The one arrow that was closest to center, because otherwise yep. they said otherwise, every team just keeps shooting twenty twos or twenty ones. So whatever arrow is closest to the middle, then whoever's whatever team shot that arrow. That's who wins. That's right. That's what he told us. And then what yeah. you? And then what'd you do?
1: <laughs> I threw my bow in the case, packed my stuff in the car, and said, "John, you better win. I've got a plane to catch." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know what's funny is you're not the first person who called me what the outcome of the shootoff was. Really? About three other guys had called me, and they said. Dudley just poleaxed the elk at 88 yards. He center punched it. And I'm like, come on. He goes, no, I'm not kidding. It's over. You guys won. <laughs> I
0: remember I remember going up to that line, and there's like 15. Well, there had to be. There's probably 12 or 14 good shooters standing there. Yeah. And me. Yep. And they're like, where's well, what, Where's what Dave? It was, John is. Is you and
1: I were the 3D guys. We're kind of the outcasts there. And we're shooting against a bunch of professional target shooters that are used to doing this day in and day out. And it's kind of cool stepping up there and knowing that they're worried about you.
0: (laughs) Well, and you know what's funny about that is what we were just talking about on the mental side. How. I think because I knew you know so we you you and I both know there's people there that play mind games all the time and oh yeah and a lot of times if you throw it back it's 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 almost like their biggest weakness to like because they're so right. they're not used to that but I remember I remember I think it was a mental advantage because I mean I'm not going to mention any names but you know the one the one team that we wanted to beat the most oh yeah and they they came up and they said where's dave and 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 i knew right away that i that the shoot would be over if i threw it out there and i just said oh well we just found out it only you only have to count one arrow for for the team to win right and i said so dave left and they go and i remember he looked at me he's like he left And I said, yeah, because I told him I'm just going to put it in the scribe hole. So there was no point in him staying.
1: (laughs) I do. That's exactly what happened, John.
0: (laughs) Yep. And, and I, you know, personally, I think something that small, I mean, I think it kind of, you know, it just throws a little bit of, a little bit of fuzziness in there to where it can make a difference, you know. But the, I mean, for, for any shooter out there that's, really trying to be better because that's, you know, that's what I'm hoping these stories bring is, you know, these are things that we learned from, not, not just the good, but also the bad because we've fell, we fell victim to those same things. Oh yeah. You know, and, and obviously if you're, you know, the less acclimated you are, um, to that stuff, then the more likely you are to have it affect you at, at some point or another. But, you know, I think for you, once once you had that confidence, I mean, especially, well, it was really any time. I mean, you always knew that you were 100% capable of winning every tournament you went to. I knew
1: it and the thing is I expected it.
0: Yeah. I expected to.
1: Now, it didn't turn out that way all the time, but you you need to expect to. You need to know that you're the best. You need to know that you can win this. You need to know that you can make this shot. You need to know those things.
0: But you know what 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 I think matters the most though is when it comes to there there's certain ways that a person can carry that mentality right and that I think is good for the sport and good for the profession, yeah, but there's obviously there's people out there that they want to have that edge and they want people to know that they're confident, you know
1: right well it, it, see that's the thing, you need to know it, Yep. or I need to know it. I don't need to broadcast it and let everybody else know it. They're just going to think that I'm cocky and that, you know, I'm I'm a jerk and, and you know, I don't want to have that reputation. Right. You, you've got to be a personable guy, especially if you're trying to shoot for, you know, four or five manufacturers. You've got to represent yourself in a, a pres- professional and respectable manner. Yep. Now, in, inside my head, you bet I can think I'm the best and, and and uh you know exude with confidence that's fine but you know there's a difference between confident and cocky
0: <laughs> i got i got to tell this story cuz i was thinking of this too that one time when you and i were down in louisiana and do you remember how good michael braden was shooting on the on that practice range that day yeah. that morning yeah Could, i do god michael braden was shooting so good on the practice range like we we watched him probably robin hood like he at least robin hooded two arrows right oh yeah yeah so and we knew he was in our group it was me you and michael on on the target so you and i screwed around a little bit i mean we you know we shot into his group one time.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you've got but to pick we a spot always... that has arrows in it. <laughs> because <laughs> we... there's 200 of you out there practicing, and every spot had arrows in it. You know, we just happened to pick Mike's spot to shoot at.
0: <laughs> I well, I knew I was going to be aiming off his knock all weekend uh-huh. anyway. But yeah, we, uh, I re- I'll never forget that face when he, like, when you and I both shot, cause we were like kind of down, we were down a few people from him. And all of a sudden we shot, and I mean, you could just hear it throughout. It was just like crash, crash. Yeah. And then he kind of like throws his binoculars up and looks down there, and he's just like looking, then he's looking left and looking right. And, <laughs> and we got down there, and, we had, you know, we had wrecked a few of his arrows. We were all yeah. friends. So, I mean, it's not like we were doing anything crazy mean, but he was like, come on, guys. I only got three arrows left for the weekend now. Right. But, but what was funny about that was we went out there and actually we shot with Michael the first day. And then we all got peer grouped again the second day. Right. Right. Because the first day He he gunned for every twelve. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. And he shot twenty tens. And I'm taught remember we had we literally looked at every arrow he shot. And it was (laughs) remember? And he shot another
1: ten. Remember you call off oh another ten.
0: Yeah, it was (laughs) twenty tens. So the second day we went out and you went out there and you and And I said, I said, Michael, you going to get a twelve today? And he's like, I better get a twelve. And I remember you said, you said, I'm going to, you said, I'm not going to shoot. I think we all shot twenty tens. That's what we were all so mad about. We all shot twenty tens. Well, I remember you got up and you said, I'm going to shoot every twelve on this course. Right. You said that on the first target. And after 7 targets you had 7 12s
1: i know and, and you want to talk about a guy that looked like he was beat down he Braden was, was
0: done at that point cuz he cause he, had, he had literally we had to call him out of tw- of 7 and i, I th- know. and i think and i think <laughs> i had, i think i had shot i think i'd shot 4 or 5 or something mm-hmm. and yeah. and he was shooting probably he was shooting every bit as good as us But it was just, I mean, you're talking millimeters, a millimeter. And I remember on your eighth target, you shot down there and we went down there. And I remember he looked at your arrow and it was really close. And I remember he just like, he just pulled it out and he said, You've had enough 12s. It's a 10. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you said, Okay, I'll take a 10. (laughs) <laughs> he just just said, "All right, I don't care. I'll take the 10."
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, but he actually, I remember we were like clapping and patting him on the back when he finally hung a 12. And then I know. and then and then he kind of got his wind back. Yeah. Cuz I mean, you know, we we had so much fun shooting back then and those types of those types of memories were just, I mean, for me that's what that's what I loved about archery is when there was when there was never a politic on a target when you could when we could go right. out there and do that stuff and and every and and you could really enjoy people shooting well i mean you and I have shot we've practiced together and um gosh we've i mean I've seen you make some of the most amazing shots I've ever seen in my life I mean some of them we can't get into but right definitely. <laughs> completely amazing. But, uh, you know, for me, that's, that's what, that's what really shows a well-rounded archer too. You know, you and I could go and we would, we would go and shoot spots. We'd shoot at a lifesaver at a hundred yards or, or whatever it was, we weren't just stuck to only focusing on our game. And right. a lot of people make that mistake. They focus so much on just three Ds that then I get all these emails from people saying, How do you shoot spots? I can never I can never shoot a ten on the bottom one. Or, you know, my bot my my third arrow is always out. Well yeah, yep. if all you're doing is shooting one arrow at a time yeah. all the time, yep. then you're not. There's to- not a second or third arrow. Yeah, there's not. So it's one arrow. <laughs> it's one. So being able to you know condition yourself to to shoot at a distance more than you're comfortable with until you get comfortable there and then push it again push the yeah. line again and then obviously you know having versatility i think all that's going to really help people get better
1: yeah i think you're right that uh, basically if you're if you're a good archer a good solid archer it's not going to matter what field you shoot in. You can shoot outdoor target. You can shoot FIDA. You can shoot field. You can shoot Vegas. You can shoot IBO. You can shoot ASA. I mean, I was good at all of those, but honestly, the ASA is the one that paid money yep. and I wanted to win money.
0: Yep. Yep. So yeah, anyway. a lot of people were that way. Well, Cool, man. This has been an awesome podcast, and I know some people are going to come away with some stuff here that, you know, once again, uh, just because we talked 3D today, you know, make sure if you're any archer out there, figure out a way to spin this into the game that you're playing because, you know, these mental things, uh, your mental mindset, your self-image, everything that you carry into a tournament, it's not only relative to the type of format that we're talking about. When we talk archery, On this podcast, this is something that relates to all archery. Just change the format, and you're going to be able to put it to use. But Dave, I super appreciate you coming on, dude. And and, hey, anytime,
1: uh, John, anytime.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely get get together some more because actually, I want to get you and I need to talk strings on a podcast because you and I uh, we've always kind of put a lot of time into that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, and obviously that has a lot of relation to how your bow feels, how your arrows fly. So we'll get into that at another time, but thanks so much, dude. And, um, you know, if you want to say thanks to any sponsors or let people know about your shop, because obviously if anyone out there is looking for some, some great technical advice, um, you definitely, if you go to Dave's shop, you're gonna, you're gonna have one of the best in the world be able to work on your gear so let them know where they can contact you buddy and uh
1: well we're we're out here in arizona uh, actually in prescott valley uh the name of the shop is mile high archery uh we've been here going on 11 years and uh you know i enjoy when people come in with problems that i'm able to solve and and uh help them be a better archer so uh, anyone from the beginner archer to to seasoned veterans so
0: yeah do you have a website or a phone number do you have a website uh, yeah,
1: uh, our website it's under construction right now it's it's going to be mile dot archery.com and uh, you can visit our facebook page mile high archery uh, or just call us here at the shop it's uh,
0: 928-632-5004 sounds good well thanks everyone for listening to another knock on podcast thanks dave for coming on buddy sure appreciate bet, it Talk to you later. Uh, thanks. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com.